either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. debuted a couple of days ago, and it's the uh, Justices Gray, the black and white version. And we, we didn't sit down, we're not going to say we watched the whole four hours again, but we did watch the beginning of it, and it looks pretty swift. looks great. It really does. It re- yeah, it does. It looks, I mean, for me, it looks a lot better. The other, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty muddy, not muddy, but it's drearily colored. It's not exactly bright and eye-popping. And I thought that, that this one was pretty gorgeous. I felt like the depth of field was much sharper. That's it. I really, right away, I thought, boy, the depth is, is really, really pops more. So, yeah, I think it was, it's uh, another... Another win. I mean, I think overall the reception to this has been pretty positive, and I think this gray version is worth checking out as well. All right, but that was last week. Holding over to this week, let's get to the new ones this week. And we'll start with a bystander who intervenes to help a woman being harassed by a group of men and then becoming the target of a vengeful drug lord. It's nobody. There's a long dormant piece of me. That so very badly wants out. What are you still doing here, old man? I'm gonna mess you up. <laughs> I used to work for some dangerous people, but I left it behind to start a family. Hey! I might have overcorrected. They came after my family, and you don't do that. They stole my kitty cat bracelet. Give me the damn kitty cat bracelet! Who are you? I'm nobody. Well, here's a movie with a very familiar formula uh, that really benefits from the genius of casting in the lead. The movie's written by the guy who wrote John Wick. Yeah, Derek Kolstad. And he's written several other movies and TV shows that are essentially John Wick. (laughs) He's got a very, I mean, if you read every, like the synopsis of everything he's written, it is this. You don't think much of this guy until something pushes him to whip out his secret set of skills. So John Wick, it's all John Wick. And so with John Wick, it was a dog. Okay. Right. You can, but this, now it's even, it, it, it even seems more inconsequential that sets him off. Yeah, it's basically, it, it's just that it's a guy who's fighting, you know, it's a struggle between his primal sort of badass nature and the, and the pull of, of domesticity, right? And that eventually the badass nature kind of wins. And that's really the point. The only reason this movie is different in any way is because Bob Odenkirk basically plays the John Wick role. Right. How many people, how many guesses would it take before you tell somebody, okay, we're going to set this up. We want somebody really, really different in the lead. How many would you get to down the list before you came to Bob Odenkirk? And he's perfect. Perfect. He's perfect because, for one thing, you actually don't expect him to be able to kick all men or vast, and yet he pulls it off quite well. But the other reason that is perfect is because his, and it's not a comedy, it's a very violent action thriller, but his timing is such comic perfection mm-hmm. that it brings a really wry sensibility to the entire film that's quite enjoyable. Yeah, and there's certainly nothing wrong with adding that layer to it. It just makes it more fun. But but make no mistake, this is not a comedy. No, it's a very violent action thriller. And you know, and it's you can expect everything else that you would expect from a well made, very slickly produced 
film like this. I mean, this is not a shoddy uh, workmanship kind of a film. The action is very precisely choreographed. The shootout sequences are very impressive, ballet-like even. Mm -hmm. It's going to remind you of things like John Wick movie or, or, um, you know, some of the better Liam Neeson movies or or the shootout inside the house reminded me a lot of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So it's that Mm -hmm. kind of very well-timed, well-choreographed action that is also packaged in a slick box, but it's still it's completely interchangeable with about 75 other well-made movies that use this exact same storyline. The thing that sets it apart and makes it so much more enjoyable is absolutely Bob Odenkirk. There's one scene in particular where the uh, the Russian the the Russian mob guy and he have a an across the table meeting of the minds. Yeah, that's Alex Alexei Serabyanikov. I know I murdered that, but he <laughs> but he's worth mentioning. He is worth mentioning. And when they have that moment, that should be sort of an incredibly pivotal even explosive it's just not it's just not yeah. and that's unfortunate and and you know i think individually they both do a very good job but when it comes to sort of the explosive personality conflict it just it fizzles a little bit but on the whole i don't have a ton of complaints about this uh, the director is Ilya nashuller uh who stages the action well and apparently bob odenkirk was into some serious training about two years to do a lot of his own stunts here so he was really into it and has already said he would do more action movies in a heartbeat. So who knows? I imagine he would. He's Bob Odenkirk. Did that, I mean, you know what I think is so funny is that uh, last Christmas, there were all these tweets. Happy first anniversary to the day we all said, oh, it's Bob Odenkirk. Because he was, surprise, surprise, the dad in Little Women. And that's the first thing I thought of watching yeah. this movie. He's like, oh, you think that was a surprise? Right. <laughs> but that's range. That's great. And he's also surrounded by a good supporting cast. You're going to see Michael Ironside. You're going to see Christopher Lloyd, who we'll talk about uh, again later. And Connie Nielsen. Kind of a, a wasted role. But these movies often have that wasted wife role. Yes, which is unfortunate, A, that they always do. And B, that it's Connie Nielsen who was wasted in this. Because yeah. you know what? I'm going to tell you what, you know, uh, if you watched the Snyder Cut, she's a much more believable badass. <laughs> but still, he does an excellent job. Yeah, yeah. So it's worth it. And it's in theaters this week. So as they say, check your local listings. And that is nobody. Next up is the story of a young engineering genius joining a bunch of bank robbers. It's The Vault. The Bank of Spain, the most impenetrable building on the planet. Across the street is the headquarters of the Spanish army. On alert for any attempts on the bank. When Spain plays its World Cup games, every camera will be pointing away from the building, which gives us 105 minutes to get the job done. Simple. He's a college kid. You're putting our lives in his hands. Big problem. Mister, until the job's done. So this is Freddie Highmore. Little Freddie Highmore, who you loved since Finding Neverland. I have loved him since Finding Neverland. And he was in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Now he's gone on to TV. He did. Yeah, Base Motel for a long time, and now he's got a, The Good Doctor. The Good Doctor. Well, now he's back as this uh, fresh-faced, and he still is, man. He looks 14. He does. Uh, he's a, a new, new grad of the University of Cambridge. He's an engineering genius, and he rebuffs all of these... Uh, job offers from Big Oil to basically join a bunch of bank robbers. They've offered him a chance to change his life, and they need his big brain to help solve this vault in the Bank of Spain, because apparently it is a wonder of engineering. No one has been able to solve it. They're trusting that he can, and in that vault is a treasure that was originally dredged up in the 1600s by Sir Francis Drake, and uh, these bank robbers want it. And they get a little bit of a, a... a timely distraction that they planned on because 
Spain is in the World Cup as this is going on, and the final match when they plan their assault on this vault is going to be shown on the Jumbotron in the street right outside the bank. So all the security cams are this time, for the as long as the match goes on, not going to be on the bank itself. It's going to be pointed at the big crowd in the street, so that helps. So they have basically as long as the match lasts to get this done. The best thing this movie has going for it, what is it? Heists are fun. It's a heist movie, and heist movies are fun. They just are. And this one takes advantage of that. It's not rewriting the playbook. It sticks to the playbook very well. And the director, and I didn't know it um, going in, and it was great to see, is Jame Balaguero, who did both Wreck, Wreck and Wreck 2, yes. which are fun horror movies. So good. And this one, I'll tell you what, just from the get-go, he keeps the camera moving and the pace impatient. It's fully, it's almost a fully two-hour running time. It does not feel no. anywhere near that. And almost always when we mention running time, it's the reverse, right? Yeah. This moves. And you get all the great things about heist movies. You get fake-outs, <laughs> and you get all his lost moments, and you get double-crosses, and you get lots of opportunities to feel like you're maybe outsmarting it the problem with them and then you find out maybe you're not but you feel invested in the con and as ridiculous as it gets and contrived as it gets and oh it does <laughs> <laughs> it's still fun right and, and the, the movie never feels like it's taking itself too seriously early on they mentioned danny ocean so look it's out there we're all thinking it yeah right you're you're, you're only you're not only going to think of oceans movies you're going to think of the Italian job. Sure. A little bit of now you see me, now you don't, all that stuff. It's not a fantastic movie, but it's fun. And I think if you check it out and it's on VOD uh, starting this weekend, you're, you're not going to be sorry. It's breezy and it's just another fun heist movie because you can count on death, you can count on taxes, and the fact that heist movies are fun. <laughs> and this one is fun and it's The Vault. Next is a movie set 17 days before World War II. An English teacher and his camera disappear on a coastal boarding school with 20 German teen girls. Six days later, everybody tries to find out what happened. This is Six Minutes to Midnight. What sort of Englishman would accept a post teaching Herr Hitler's League of German Girls? We should keep an eye on him. My girls are not the enemy. The German, aren't they? A war with Germany. Will be the end of England. No one likes a traitor. These girls give me hope. This country is at war with Germany. This is, which is hard to believe given the length of the career, this is the first time that Eddie Izzard has co written a script. Really? I'm very, I was very surprised to learn that. And one of the things that I think you need to point out is that in the last couple of months, Eddie Izzard has changed pronouns. Um, and, you know, she always was. She, you know, would do uh, stand up in, in uh, dresses yep. periodically. I remember that. And just say, you know, she, you know, she kind of some days she wants to be a boy and some days she wants to be a girl. And now she's decided she's just going to use the, the female pronouns. Awesome. But and here, the, she's the only reason that it's confusing yeah. is that when we refer to her character, we are going to be referring to a man because she's playing a man, a teacher who is uh, really just a covert British agent who has um, infiltrated the school to try to find out what happened to the previous teacher, who was also an agent, who just disappeared. The school itself 
really existed. And and actually, it was a trip that Izzard made to the school that that inspired the film because she didn't know uh, this very interesting yeah. piece of British history yeah. that it didn't close down until, you know, the throes of World War Two. And until that happened, it was a finishing school for German girls, not just any German girls, very <laughs> wealthy German girls. And they that their curriculum followed the Hitler Youth yeah, Program. Yeah, yeah. So here we are, 19 days before Britain is pulled into World War II, and these these young women, they're in peril to a certain degree. Um, Germany is trying to figure out how to get them back without drawing too much attention. And England realizes that when Germany does that, it's because they don't want to risk that these girls will become POWs, right? That they don't want to risk that England will be able to use them as sort of a bartering chip. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what the the film is about, is kind of figuring out when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and the best sort of tug of war with these, you know, they're not great girls. I mean, they've, they've learned some terrible things, but they're still, they haven't done anything wrong, and who wants them to be at the middle of this? That sounds like a, a, a very tense and interesting concept, and it is a tense and interesting concept. The execution doesn't work at all. It looks good. It's got a very sort of throwback, stilted quality to it that that brings to mind, you know, some classic World War II era spy thrillers. But it's very rushed. The writing is is kind of sloppy. And and I, I hate to say this because I have been an Eddie Izzard fan for as long as I can remember. I'm a huge fan, and I loved, for example, Get Duked. That's the most recent film. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things I loved about him in that, I like about him in the Ocean her, excuse me, in the Oceans movies, and in a lot of movies, um, especially Shadow of the Vampire, is it's unexpected. Right. And this it's a quality that she brings to roles that, that gives it like an, oh, that's interesting twist. But it does not work here at all, partly because there is a tremendous amount of running. There's <laughs> so much running in this movie, and it does not work. It feels <laughs> comical, and it shouldn't. It, yeah. There's nothing comical about this movie, but but it just it doesn't work. And that's not the only thing. It's not just Izzard as the, the central character that doesn't work. The writing is also a little bit weak. But all the way around, the whole thing feels rushed, and it doesn't feel like a taut espionage thriller. It feels like a bunch of bumbling mishaps that might somehow turn out okay. And it's got a, de- a very good uh, supporting cast as well, including Dame Judi Dench, James Darcy, Jim Broadbent, Carla Jury. So that's solid, too. It just never, it's it all seems like a wasted opportunity because it is a fascinating story, another fascinating historical story like we talked about last week mm-hmm. with The Courier. Well, I think Liv- part of the problem, the story itself is fictional. The school is real. Okay. And I yeah, feel like yeah. that's where the, I think there were shortcuts taken in the story. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And that is out in theaters this weekend as well. Six minutes to midnight. How about one for the mature set? After drag racing his vintage convertible around Palm Springs, a retired NASA test pilot loses his license and his car. Forced to take public transportation, he meets Caroline and learns to navigate love and life again. It's senior moment. You don't look like a bus guy to me. The judge took it away from me. Get out of here. <laughs> I want to show you something. It's a surprise. Wow. Get in. <laughs> She's a good woman. You ready to settle down? <laughs> What's wrong? You, hanging out with Mr. Artiste. I really can't handle this right now. This is not about you getting back your license to drive. This is about your license to live. I gotta get her back. Well, how are you gonna do that? I've been an idiot. Again. 
So it's William Shatner. 90. 90, and he's playing a spry character aged 72. <laughs> and, yeah, he loses his car, he loses his license, and he meets a Caroline, played by Gene Smart, on the bus. And they start up a courtship, a romance, while he's getting these crazy schemes arranged to try to get his license and his car back. And, first of all, what's nice is a romance built around characters of this age. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's nice. And, number one, because we've said this before when we've, when we've talked about movies that deal with older people, comedies especially... So often the humor is based around laughing at them, mm-hmm. like, like, oh, they're talking sex, or maybe they're having sex, or, oh, they're saying bad words. <laughs> it's based around the fact that they're old. This movie doesn't do that, right. so I appreciate that. I'm not saying it's funny, because it's not. No. It's totally ridiculous and contrived, and I, I will give them props for the trailer. If you watch the trailer, you think this movie is a lot better than it is. <laughs> and it has a very obvious and, and well-meaning moral of, that these people, even though they're old, still have something to offer. Hey, that's great. Nothing nothing wrong with that. But, boy, it's just it's ridiculous, and it's not funny, and it's so contrived and so forced. And uh, it's, it's Shatner. It is Shatner, master thespian. <laughs> also Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, there he is. Christopher how weird, Lloyd. out of nowhere. Christopher Lloyd's having a hell of a week. He's got two big movies this week. Yeah, he is. So, And it is on VOD, so definitely the, maybe the older demos just want to see something uh, centered on their age group. I totally get it. It's just, it's just not very good, and it's senior <laughs> moment. Streaming this weekend. Do some sci-fi next. Without warning, millions of mysterious alien doors suddenly appear around the globe. In a rush to determine the reason for their arrival, mankind must work together to understand the purpose of these cosmic anomalies. It's doors. I have a door. No. If you had a door, there would be like a million of those knockers here sterilizing this entire place. Sure, if they knew, they'd be here, but I didn't report it. I think this is a good time to go. Don't you see... We can learn the secrets of the universe. I'm in some kind of hallucination. There are copies of myself. What is this? What is this? Hey, do you know what mankind doesn't do very well? What? Work together. <laughs> Whatever could give you reason to say that. <laughs> this, I, I guess you could call it an anthology. It's, it's set, basically, it's set up with three different stories, basically interlocking, and they're all done by three different filmmakers. But they do fit together. It's just not implemented very well. It's an interesting premise. I, I think it is. You get yeah. these doors, and then... They're, they're, as the synopsis said, they pop up all over the world, and then people go through them, and people are missing. And then you get these people called, what else, knockers, that are... Think if the movie was called Knockers. It pro- <laughs> <laughs> More people would look at it. <laughs> Probably so. The volunteers called Knockers that uh, uh, voluntarily go in to try to learn something about what happens once they're in there. So we see a couple do that. The, I think the best thing about this movie is the beginning in the segment called Lockdown. And that one's um, done by Jeff Deesom. And that is a bunch of kids. They're in a class and their phones, their phones are taken from them uh, just so they won't use them. And they're, they're locked up, and then when the teacher starts getting messages that something's up, 
The teacher leaves, and then we're just in there with the kids as their phones, you hear them as they're locked up, just start buzzing and buzzing and buzzing, and they can hear things happening outside and planes flying overhead. That's a nice bit of tension. Yes. A bit of ambiguous tension, and, and I liked it. The setup was good. Where it goes from there, all ambiguity and all subtlety is gone until the very end in the last segment. You've got a guy, sort of a hermit, out in the woods, and a nice performance by Kip Malone. He has got a door on his property there, and he hasn't reported it. So he's just trying to communicate and has been try- and been communicating with it and learning things about it. Well, people betray him, and so outsiders come in. But the whole thing is that once it builds toward a climax, you get on-screen text that the director of this segment, Dugan O'Neill, has decided to put on the screen to help explain to us what the door is communicating to people in front of it. And it, to me, it was just inexplicable. It's, it's like if you got that at the monolith in 2001, like we had to know it was telling the ape, you know, pick up the, the bone to use it as a weapon. Oh, my God. Why, I, don't, I don't understand why you would do that. I just don't. It rips all power from the possibility that, that it might you, you might feel it, something for it's this. It's as if he had a segment at, like, words in the script, and he wasn't sure how to convey it. You know, how to make it seen, you know, and just say, well, I'm just going to paste the script on the screen right now. Because it's it's not an organic device at all. Now, no. earlier, earlier in the movie, they do use a more organic device of a late night podcaster to tell us about things. And it, I still think it explains too much, but at least it's an organic device. Right. Okay. Yeah. Here, these people in front of the door, they are not seeing this text. Why are we? <laughs> uh, it's it, Yeah. And it's just one of the things. Basically, it just comes too hard. It's it's too forceful. It explains and tells more than it shows, and I think it, it wastes a pretty decent sci-fi premise, and it is on uh, VOD starting this weekend called Doors. How about a horror movie? Don't mind if we do. A renowned exorcist who teams up with a rookie priest for his first day of training, and as they plunge deeper into hell on earth, the lines between good and evil blur, and their own demons emerge the seventh day. An exorcist doesn't hide from evil. He runs toward it. You know what I witnessed? It's the epitome of darkness. This young boy needs help. I saw this on the news this morning. He murdered his family. So what are you waiting for? That demon was the strongest I've ever seen. Evil is clever. He needs an army. Never score to sell. That sounds dumb, but <laughs> I didn't write it. I held out hope for several reasons. One, mainly, to be honest with you, is that the writer director is Justin P. Lang, and also the cast includes Guy Pierce and uh, Keith David and Stephen Lang. No relation that I can tell, but mainly because Justin P. Lang just uh, a few years ago made an underseen but really solid twist on the zombie genre called The Dark. It's a terrible title. But it's a good movie. It was full of surprises, and it was it had a really strong sort of um, analogy that it was that it was working out without torturing it. I enjoyed it very much, and I was surprised that I did because it was such a was such well worn territory. So I held out hope. I'm thinking to myself, I don't think we. I don't. I mean, who needs to see another exorcism movie if it's just going to be 
a kid in a bed and two priests hollering at the kid and then waiting to see what happens. We've all seen it, and we've seen it done really, really well. I like the word hollering. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you were, needless to say, disappointed here. I was, because it's just bad. It's dumb. Um, it doesn't do anything interesting or new. I think it thinks it does, but it definitely doesn't. It's, it's pretty well telegraphed where this is going and what's going on with it and what the twists are expected to be. And it wastes some good people here, too. Guy Pierce, Keith David. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're very much wasted. But the main problem, it really is, well, the real problem is the writing. But the second real problem is Vadir Derbez, who plays the lead, right? The the rookie priest. Father Daniel. Yeah. Father Daniel. Um, and he, it's like a piece of plywood in every scene. He's so just bland, so bland. And it's funny because Guy Pierce, you, you got to think Guy Pierce knows this movie is terrible, but he's... He's having fun with it. He's, yeah, he's affecting like, a, I don't know what it was, maybe a uh, like a slight Boston accent, maybe. He's got sort of a grizzled, like, I don't know what he was doing with it, but it was fun. He's good. Always good. And also he Steve- makes a lot of bad movies, though. <laughs> and also Stephen Lang is in this, and the writer-director is Justin P. Lang, but he has an E on the end of his name, so we're thinking no relation. <laughs> Because you rarely change the spelling of your name. Not in Hollywood. It's an interesting movie. No, it isn't. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And that is The Seventh Day, also on VOD. All right, we'll see if we can find a better horror movie. A social media prankster and his fiancée find their idyllic country weekend turn into the ultimate video prank where the stakes are life and death. It's making monsters. When a couple decides they're going to have fertility treatment... The key is to eliminate any unnecessary stress. We should make this weekend like a location scout for the wedding. You mean use Jesse's place? Yeah. If it's cute. Real celebrities in my church. God bless. Why is he so weird? I think he's kind of funny. This movie is actually better than that synopsis because I think, I mean, maybe it's just me. Video prankster horror, is it a prank? I don't want to see that. You know, and the th- the truth is that that the movie gets away from that pretty quickly. I think it would have been a better movie if it dropped it completely, but it doesn't. And the couple, they're going away for the weekend essentially to sort of mark they need to move forward in their relationship. And, and they're famous because he pranks her Twice a week, every week. And she's going to marry him? <laughs> so, you know, they're planning their wedding. They're, they just had their first in vitro fertilization meeting with their doctor. Clearly, somebody needs to grow up here. And so they meet some friends out in the middle of nowhere. And then weird, crazy things starts happening. So for a while, you're asking yourself and she's asking him, is this a prank? Is it not a prank? But l- luckily, they kind of disregard that after a while. And when they dig into what's happening as they're far away... It's fairly interesting, and the the performances are are very they're, they're very strong. They're solid performances. There are some interesting scares. The movie is not brilliant by any stretch, but it is an entertaining couple of hours. And the writer, the oh, co-director and writer, usually it's the other way around, but uh, the writer and co-director is Justin Harding. And this is the one actually we first saw this a couple of years ago at Nightmares Film Festival. Yeah, so it's finally making its way to wide release VOD, making monsters. Hey. It was better than The Seventh Day. Sure was. Put that on the box. There are no boxes anymore, are there? (laughs) Next one takes us to 1987, Denver, Colorado. One crazy night in the life of four friends reeling from the sudden demise of iconic British band The Smiths while the local airwaves are hijacked at gunpoint by an impassioned Smiths fan. 
This is Shoplifters of the World. There is a young man in the radio station pointing a gun. So, um, for the rest of the night, I will be bringing you the music of the Smiths. Don't touch that dial. To the charming man holding the radio station hostage. Thank you from all of us, right, guys? Smiths are the only band that matters. Clearly never listened to Twisted Fucking Sister. You know, I've been a radio DJ for over 30 years now. I've never been hijacked at gunpoint to play a certain song. You know, if, the, if it was... I feel like I'm missing out. If it was the Smiths, then you might take a bullet. No, I'm just kidding. George <laughs> is not a Smiths fan. No, Truth, neither are you. No, I'm not. Which is funny, because it's very much my wheelhouse, but they're just whiny babies. Anyway, the point is... It was a difficult time for music lovers because it was all power ballads and big hair. And when these people found out that the band that's neither of those things had broken up, they just lost their shit. And, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's an interesting movie. It's a coming-of-age film. It does a nice job. It got permission to use a lot of songs that I don't want to have to hear. But if you do want to have to hear them, this might be a good movie for you. So it's a decent movie. Matt Weiner wrote the review for us and thought it had a lot of charm. Yeah, this is a love letter to the Smiths, uh, which we don't need. Uh, we, <laughs> we got our love letter to Bruce with Blinded by the Lights a couple of years ago, Where which, by love... the way, is very underrated. Where is my love letter to Duran Duran? When's that coming out? Well, that's that's up to you. Get cracking. <laughs> Get on it. You're ragging on all these synopsises. See what you can write. Uh, but, <laughs> but this is called Shoplifters of the World. Now, the cast features Eller Coltrane from Boyhood. Boyhood. <laughs> nice to see him. And as the DJ, Full Metal Mickey. Yeah. Hey, Full Metal Mickey this afternoon from 3 to 7 <laughs> is Joe Manganiello. He does a great job. I mean, he's spot on perfect in that role. Full Metal Mickey. <laughs> So Shoplifters of the World. This one actually comes out in some theaters Mm -hmm. this weekend, and you can find it on VOD, especially if you're a Smith fan, you'll dig it. And one more. It's Donnie Drucker's 1998 Bar Mitzvah VHS tape. It's Donnie's Bar Mitzvah. Actually, we've never been to a Bar Mitzvah. This is our first. You guys are in for the night of your lives! Night of your lives! I detect you might have poured a little extra vodka in there this time. It's quite the pal you have. Well, I am an alcoholic. <laughs> Everybody at this party is in danger. I need your help. Woo! Oh! How happy we would be. This one... Christy Robb did for us. Welcome back, Christy Robb. She's been gone for a while because of lockdown. She has a little, uh, lovely little girl who she has been homeschooling and taken care of, so she hasn't been able to help us out. And to, as a thank you for oh, coming back to us, one star. <laughs> one star for Donnie Dora Mitzvah. We apologize, Christy. Yeah, this is going to appeal to a very niche segment um, of, of audience. It wasn't Christy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's set in 1995. There's a lot 98, of 98, excuse me, 1998. But, there's butt chugging. There's boobs. There's and it's funny because we published the review and we got immediately a a uh, comment that said, "I guess I know what I'm doing Saturday." Right, so exactly. So. You know, if you if you are that audience, then you know who you are and you want to watch this bad movie. And the what's the highlight? Danny Trejo in a wig. Yeah, Danny Trejo always brings it, that little touch of magic. <laughs> 
So if this is your bag, check it out. Otherwise, uh, like Christy, found nothing redeeming in Donnie's bar mitzvah. So let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, checking in with the schlocketeer, also known as Daniel Baldwin. And the early word is, you got a lot on your plate, so hit it. A whole lot. <laughs> All right. Open Road Films will release their thriller Separation in theaters on April 30th. Also on April 30th, Netflix will premiere the Lord and Miller-produced animated film The Mitchells vs. the Machines. Wellgo USA is releasing the martial arts festival favorite The Paper Tigers into theaters on May 7th. Lionsgate has actually moved up the release of Spiral from the Book of Saul by one week to May 14th, and as of now, it's still theatrical only. Mm. Disney's Cruella will retain its May 28th theatrical release, but it will now officially get a day-and-date release on Disney Plus as well for a premium fee. Pixar's Luca will no longer see theatrical release on June 18th, but will instead become a Disney Plus exclusive on the same date. But just like Saul, there's not going to be an extra charge for that one. Oh, okay. Clint Eastwood's neo-Western drama Cry Macho will arrive in theaters and on HBO Max come October 22nd. And this is his first starring role in almost a decade. So he's actually in front of the camera on this one. And Sony has once again moved its Peter Rabbit sequel. They had moved it up to May, but now they've pushed it back to July 2nd for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. You would think they would want it closer to Easter, but hey. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> and Peter Rabbit's not the only movie that's bounced out of May. In addition to the Disney changes I just mentioned, uh, the House of Mouse has shifted around a bunch of other titles. Marvel's Black Widow has now been pushed back to July 9th, but it will be getting a day-and-date release in theaters and on Disney Plus with that premium fee on that same date. Because they moved it to July, they're moving Marvel's Shang-Chi back to September 3rd. They've also moved the Foxholder Free Guy back from May to August 13th. And basically all these shifts mean that the strong lineups that we did have for both May and June are now a good deal lighter. They've also shifted Matthew Vaughn's The Kingsman, or The Kingsman, I guess. Right. You want to call it that way. It's kind of a oddly titled prequel there, but they've moved it back to December 22nd. Adrian Lin's Deep Water has moved to January 14th, and Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile will now arrive on February 11th. Universal has also pushed their DreamWorks animated heist comedy, The Bad Guys, back to April 15th of next year. And then finally, after having a release date set for September 17th, Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson action comedy, The Man for Man from Toronto has moved back to an undetermined 2020 release because they gave that date to Venom 2. Now, completely away from all these release date changes, Regal Cinemas is reopening their doors nationwide on April 2nd, so that's another big chain that'll be back yeah. in business, Yeah, which is good. Yes. And speaking of Regal, Warner Brothers cut a deal with the chain this week about their post-2021 plans. You know, they're, they're still going to stick to the same... Uh, day-and-date HBO Max stuff for this year, but beginning in January of next year, they're adopting a strategy identical to Paramount, which is where all theatrical films will hit their streaming service after 45 days on the big screen. And the last one, potentially fun one I've got for you, is Amazon must have loved their Coming to America sequel numbers because they just signed Jim Carrey, make Ace Ventura 3 for them with his Sonic the Hedgehog riders, 
penning the script for it. Ace Ventura 3. It's been a while. I didn't miss him. I haven't I haven't missed him. <laughs> well, man, you got a you got a bunch there. I hope there's not a quiz, but if... right. <laughs> thanks for keeping uh, thanks for keeping tabs on it and you can uh, find Daniel anytime at the Schlocketeer. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week. Woo, we got a big one. Giant Godzilla versus Kong. It's a death match. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Also, Concrete Cowboy. French Exit. This is not a burial. Funny Face. Voices. Roe v. Wade. Witness Infection. And Like a House on Fire. All right. We'll see about those. But in the meantime, let us know what you thought about any of these. You digging Bob Odenkirk as an action star? Do you love heist movies or do you hate him? And you want to tell us why we're wrong about heist movies? We're not wrong. <laughs> Let us know. You can always find us. Uh, keep the conversation going on Twitter. That's easy. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can get all of our written reviews by the two of us and the Wolf Pack uh, at MadWolf.com. You can also find our other podcast, which is Horror Movies Only, called Fright Club. So all that fun stuff. Look it up. We hope you'll get in touch. Stay well. And until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>